Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with stroke survivor Vince Holland. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and experienced in treating complex, complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I do have two books that I have published that are available on Amazon. And I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. And you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. And you can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And also you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And please, I invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Vince Holland, and Vince was 28 years old when he had a stroke. At the time, he was living an active lifestyle, competing in martial arts, Olympic-style weightlifting, and generally working to be healthy. After an ischemic stroke, he spent time in rehab, working on recovering his life skills and improving his mindset. It challenged his relationships and his sense of self and community. The gratitude that the stroke has given him has steered him into sharing positivity and perspectives from the view of a stroke thriver. So welcome to the podcast, Vince. I'm so happy to have you here today. Yeah, Amy, so glad to be here. Thanks so much for uh having me on to talk with you. So Vince, I would love, let's just kind of jump in with your story. You were 28 and you were doing Olympic style weightlifting and martial arts and you had a stroke at 28. Um, So tell us a little bit about the actual stroke. Do you remember any of it? Do you remember it happening or do you just remember waking up in a hospital room? Uh, I remember the stroke. I remember everything. It was at my parents' house. Excuse me. On the fourth of July, um, and before that, everything else in the day was pretty normal. There's no signs leading up to it. But I just remember sitting there, feeling like my legs weighed a thousand pounds, and like they were turning to sand. Uh, and the, once I tried to stand up, they basically disappeared. I was sprawled out on my parents' kitchen floor, but was conscious the entire time, and uh, just trying to process how surreal all of that was. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, did your parents or whoever was around, did they recognize what was happening? I think so. My brother was there. Uh, he's a corpsman in the Navy. So he began the FAST protocol, uh, uh-huh. checking the signs uh, in my face, 
my speech, looking at my strength and seeing if I could lift my limbs. And my mom was right there. Uh, and she used to be a nurse, and so she knew right away to call 911 just to get the first responders there as soon as possible so they could begin that triage uh, right on uh, the uh, ambulance on the way to the hospital. Yeah, so, you know, it's so amazing to me how I've heard so many serendipitous stories um, of people who had strokes because often there there really aren't always signs ahead of time. Um, They're much more immediate. Um, Sometimes there are symptoms leading up to it, but um, often it just kind of happens, and especially in the younger uh, age group, you know, it's not something you're even – thinking about in your 20s. Um, But I've heard so many serendipitous stories of people who, you know, one gal went home for lunch and her husband shouldn't have been there, um, but he was. And she went home for lunch because she wasn't feeling well and she was having a stroke. Um, So he was able to rush her to the hospital. Otherwise, she'd have been home alone, right, and likely went to survive. You know, and I just hear so many stories like that. Um, and so thankfully you were with people who recognized what was happening and got you to the hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. So Vince, yeah, and that's the, Oh, go ahead. And that's just another thing of how scary that could be to just be isolated uh, in your home when this happens and not being able to get to the hospital in that critical first few hours. Yeah. 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 And so when you did get to the hospital, were you still conscious when you arrived or had you lost consciousness by that point? I was pretty disoriented, but I was still awake and just listening to everything the nurses were saying, trying to be responsive to them, but everything was delayed. Uh, my speaking in the beginning was really affected. I could hear things. I was thinking of what I wanted to say, but there was just such mm-hmm. delay to get the words to come out. That was so tough. Yeah. And I know, um, Aphasia is a very common symptom after any form of brain injury. I know I definitely struggled. Um, And I I remember like just this delay, like it was almost like you could see the wheels turning inside my head. I was trying to come up with the words to get them out my mouth. And there was just this delay (laughs) and it was so frustrating. Yeah. 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 It's like, you can just kind of, see those little wheels turning they're trying to get it out of you but you can't quite get it there um so how long were you inpatient and you know what kind of um treatment and therapies were you getting in the hospital so we bounced from the first hospital where i got the tpa to the second and from there after about three days onto the rehab facility and i was in rehab for about 10 days and i think i think it was actually on the 10th day that I was able to leave the inpatient facility. And when you left, what was, did they give you any sort of plan for, for leaving the hospital? Was there like follow-up therapies or was it just kind of like, bye, nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so there were follow-ups after that, uh, continuing a lot of what we had done at the inpatient facility onto an outpatient facility where they would still do, a lot of the physical therapy things, not as much of the occupational therapy. Some of that I would have to adapt for my home life and figuring out how to get around it. I'm I'm sure you know what that's like, just trying to get back to that normalcy at home, having to do a bit of that myself. But I did have a plan going into outpatient rehab of 
what sort of exercises I could do to start building strength and coordination and just getting back some sense of independence. Yeah, and, you know, I imagine that at the time of your your stroke, you were very physically fit, you know, as a martial artist and um, a weightlifter. Um, And I have to believe that that helped with your recovery, already having that fitness level plus the skills of knowing, you know, how to do fitness where not everybody has that skill, right? Um, You know, what, what was that part of the journey like for you incorporating what you had done in your past life? Sure. Well, like as, like you said, as a martial artist and an Olympic-style weightlifter, I was used to knowing how my body worked and just knowing where I was and knowing where my physical body was in space at all times and trying to reteach myself a lot of those things that I didn't really have to think about was tough because I didn't know how to explain to myself how to lift my toes and articulate my feet and to just do some of these small things that made my day-to-day life possible. Um, so I had really great conditions that were there that helped me map out a plan. Um, but taking those experiences allowed me to just think about this as a sort of injury. But I knew that I could mm-hmm. modify whatever I might normally do to adapt to where I was now. And were you able to get back to doing martial arts and your Olympic-style weightlifting? Is that something that you were able to get back to? And are you currently still doing it? I was, yes. I do still train martial arts occasionally, and I'm back in the gym uh, doing Olympic-style weightlifting training, maybe not going at the same intensity, but just trying to maintain my strength and doing what I call prehab and uh, rehab things, so just trying to make sure that I don't regress. Um, And there were some really difficult things on the mental side of that, too, is just getting back to being the athlete that I was and recognizing how that fit into my whole identity. Yeah. Yeah. Your whole identity. That's such a good point. How, how far out are you now from your stroke? A little over three years. Um, and so now the deficits, there aren't, they aren't all visible. I can definitely feel them. Right. Just living with them every day. Um, but about three years removed and um, just trying to keep working on that every day is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The invisible aspect of brain injury, you know, that's something that's just, it's so challenging to really help the general public as well as the medical community understand, you know, someone like you who is having a stroke, it's very cut and dry, right? Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. he's having a stroke. We know he's having a stroke. Um, Where someone who, you know, just has a concussion, like, like myself, I fell on the ice and landed on my head or someone in a car accident or someone playing a sport, you know, that invisible aspect of it. Oh, well, you look fine. You can walk fine. You, you can talk. Um, But they just, you know, they can't see the underlying what we're feeling. Right. I like, like I even said earlier, those gears turning, trying to get the words Mm -hmm. out and the wrong words coming out. I remember I wouldn't even hear it. I I thought I said the right word and people would look at me and kind of like cock their head, like, huh, what'd you just say? And I'm like, what did I say? (laughs) 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 Because you don't even know you're doing it. Um, You know, so what are some of those invisible symptoms that you're still dealing with? Uh, the aphasia is not as pronounced as it was then. There are little times where I might forget someone's name 
or I might be trying to yeah. use a number, but I'll say a, a color. Um, there are just the ones in my in my stride is a little bit different at times. If I get fatigued, my body doesn't always cooperate to the same degree. Mm, uh, so at the yeah. end of a long day, I can just be completely wiped out. And, and that's hard because, like you touched on, like there is that invisible part that impacts the people around you too, where they're still in that, you look so normal. They're in that phase, but they can't see that kind of dragging along and maybe struggling a little bit. Yeah. And, and how has your family been, you know, that's, I often hear, you know, families and friends, they, they kind of drift away, you know, they don't know what to do or what to say. And I think, you know, there's just this lack of understanding of what we're dealing with. Um, You know, for me, you know, people like I still continued like plowing through, you know, I had no choice. I had to work when you're self-employed, you don't work, you don't get paid. Right. Um, And so people saw that I I was still working and I'm like, I don't have a choice, but what you don't see is I went from working 65 hours a week to like 12. That's my max. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what they don't see. And they don't see me go lay down on my bed and put an ice pack on my neck at the end of a session or, you know, whatever. And it's all those little things that people on the outside don't see. And, you know, it's, it's isolating when people start drifting away from you and they stop inviting you to things. And, you know, I I remember saying, Hey, look, I, I might not be able to come, but I still want the invite, right? Like, don't just right, stop yeah. inviting me. Sure. And that's been a really difficult thing uh, is just trying to be able to share my story and where I'm at with my community. My family's been great with that because I do have medical professionals around. They just, they've seen a bit of this and they know how difficult it can be. If you, my own experience is unique, but they've been patient. And that's one thing that I just love and respect so much about healthcare providers and caretakers in the home is, they have the patience to work with someone who is trying to rediscover their own identity and working through healing emotionally. And we can't always see mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And working through it emotionally, like you just said, that's, you know, the whole kind of grieving, grieving who you used to be, you know, and right. that's yeah. a very real process that a lot of people don't even know that we go through, you know, like, so it's frustrating to somebody else when we, you know, when we have aphasia or we're having trouble speaking to them, they get frustrated. But, you know, imagine the frustration we feel because we right, can't get yeah, the word yeah. out or, you know, we can't complete our sentence or whatever, um, you know. And, and so it's just, yeah, just that understanding and that compassion and the emotionality of us going through these these issues. Yeah, it can be um, very challenging. But you have really turned this into gratitude and positivity. So tell us, you know, what are you doing now with your experience and your story? Uh, spending a bit more time trying to get involved with the campaigns that are sharing awareness of stroke. Because before I had a stroke, I just didn't know very much about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that there are those who had never even really understood how it affects people or the scale to which it affects people um, just all across the world. And so we're just getting involved with the campaigns that spread awareness and then taking, like you mentioned, the gratitude that I have uh, working through my recovery with the stroke 
and just trying to show that for those around me who might be going through their own struggles that I can't see and just recognizing that it makes sense to just be empathetic that people are dealing with things that they can't always articulate or they're carrying yeah. burden that other people don't readily, we just don't readily understand those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's such an important mission to really, especially, you know, like I said, with the younger generation, they don't, we don't think of 20 somethings having strokes. And I mean, it can happen at any age. I've met, I met a little guy who was eight years old and had had a stroke, Um, you know, so it really can happen at any age. And, um, you know, the other side of it is, is an AVM, which is more of a genetic uh, malformation. Um, And that, again, they can happen at any age. Um, And, and brain injury can happen at any age. Uh, You know, um, it can happen coming out of the birth canal, you know, Um, So really just it can happen to anyone, anywhere. And it really, brain injury doesn't discriminate, you know, it doesn't care your age, your race, your income level, where you live. (laughs) It doesn't care. It um, really can happen to anyone. That's true. And that's been one of the the most incredible things is when I was even in rehab, I realized that there was a young man there a year younger than I was. And I just didn't imagine that it could affect folks who were so young inactive uh but it's just across all across all boundaries of life stroke can impact people across all professions and um all backgrounds yeah so vince what you know what advice do you have to someone who might be listening who has recently um endured a stroke i would say uh, seek a, a community one of the things that is tough about going through these things is not seeing your story mirrored back to you out in the world. And even if you are a caretaker, that community might help you to see that there are others who are fighting every day to reclaim their life. Yeah. So eloquent. Well, Vince, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. This has been a lovely discussion. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being here and thanks for reaching out and continue sharing your story. You have such a positive attitude and we just need more of that in this world. I will. I mean, thanks so much for your time. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Vince Holland. And just a reminder that you can find today's podcast and any previous podcasts on most streaming platforms, as well as facesoftbi.com. And just another reminder to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zelmer. And another big thank you to our sponsor, the Functional Neurology Center. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, and I will see you all again next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.